and welcome to Let's Dive In. It's our little podcast. Where we have a go at answering questions all about life, the universe and everything in it. I'm Phil. And I'm Julie. So let's dive in. Hey, Phil. Hey, Julie. Guess what? What? I've done it. I've started my dream. Which one is that exactly? But Fair, fair question. But Avian and I have applied to be astronauts. Whoa, really? Are you serious? Yeah, you know, look, we've always wanted to get near space. It's part of the reason why we both studied physics. So yeah, we're on our way. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. The main thing that I would be thinking about right now is... What would I pack? I mean, what do you pack to go to space? Uh, Well, I mean, it's not like a regular work trip. I mean, I'd have to pack like suits, like obviously like spacesuits, books and books, my uh, lucky underwear, uh, my laptop, uh, my... Well, what what about some sun cream? Why? That's not something I've ever considered. Well, you'll be out in space, um, outside of our little atmosphere that surrounds a planet Earth, and and so all the sun's nasty rays will be able to get you. Yeah, I don't know. Do astronauts normally wear sunscreen, though? Well, funny you should ask, because that is exactly our question for this episode of Let's Dive In. Oh, I see what you did there. You hoodwinked me. Well, not hoodwinked me. I know what's going on, but maybe we should tell our listeners... Who is going to be answering our question today? This is where things get just a little bit more awesome on the show. And I know for everybody listening out there, you may be saying, more awesome, how is that possible? They're already really cool. Yeah, okay, we are. But this person just makes us that little bit cooler. Yes, and we are bouncing around like puppies, like puppies on a couch who have just seen some ice cream when we found out who is going to be speaking on the show today that we're, the person is just awesome. That is right, because this person has actually been to space. Like space, like the stuff around the Earth, the space. An astronaut, a real live astronaut. A real live astronaut. But before we tell you any more about this person, just a quick reminder to stick around until the end of the show for Ashling's amazing fun fact segment. Which is always amazing, but we don't always have an astronaut. So let's get back to the astronaut. Back to our astronaut, Judy. Yes, yes. Okay, back to our astronaut. So we had the absolute pleasure of speaking to astronaut Bruce Melnick. Yes, Bruce is a legend and for most of his early career he worked with the United States Coast Guard and in 1988 his life changed when he received a call asking him to go to Houston. In 1990 he had his first opportunity to actually go up into space and he was on the 11th mission of the Space Shuttle Discovery. And the aim of this mission was to launch a solar polar probe into space. His second mission, because I mean, going into space once isn't enough. Like, you gotta go twice. So he went again and he spent nine days, this time on the space shuttle Endeavour in 1992, where the crew had to rescue and replace the engine on a satellite that had gone the wrong way. But today he works at the Kennedy Space Centre Visitor Complex, where he talks to anyone who's interested about space and what is going on up there. And today he's with us on Let's Dive In. Yeah, today with us. 
So strap yourselves in, listeners, as we launch into space with Bruce Melnick. Oh, I feel a countdown coming on. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. All three engines up and burning. 2, 1, 0, and lift off. We are very excited to have you here, and especially this young lady, Nova, is very excited to meet you because she has a question that she'd like to ask you. Well, fire away. I'll try to answer it. Go on, Nova. Do astronauts wear sun cream? Well, you know what? I should have on my second flight because I had to look out the window for so long because we were rescuing a satellite that I ended up burning the front of my face and my lips and I got really bad burn. But if I was to ever go up in space again, yes, I would put it on my face. But most of the time we have plenty of clothes on to where we don't get sunburn. It's just when you look out the window a lot, your face gets burnt. That's really interesting. I didn't realize that the windows wouldn't protect you from the, the sun's rays. Here when, you know, on Earth, our windows, they don't let any of the, you know, nasty rays through. So we don't have to wear sun cream inside. Are the windows on a spacecraft made of different materials? Well, they're, they're made of very special glass and very thick panes, but you don't have the atmosphere to filter out any of the harmful radiation. Matter of fact, every day that we spent in the space shuttle was equal to a, a year's oh exposure God. to radiation on the surface of the Earth. Okay, I have to admit, I really wasn't expecting Bruce to say that he's actually been sunburned in space. I mean, I honestly thought that, you know, they'd have it all covered with the spacesuits and the visors and, you know, the bit that they're actually inside a spaceship. Yeah, it was a surprise for me too. Okay, listeners, so given how surprised we both were by this fact, we also wondered, do satellites and rocket ships and spaceships and other space-travelling things need protection from being damaged by the sun? Basically, we wanted to know, do satellites need sun cream? Again, not something either of us had ever considered before. But as it turns out, they actually do. And amazingly and conveniently, my good friend Dave McKeown could help us answer this question. He's a satellite engineer at University College Dublin. We put materials on our, our satellites and spacecraft to keep well the things safe inside, whether it's people or, or instruments or science that's inside. The satellites need protecting from things other than the sunshine. There's lots of debris floating around in space too, like tiny flecks of paint that can damage the satellites. So there are special coatings on the satellites that help absorb this debris. And because satellites can sometimes end up going behind planets... Which is when they're in a shadow... Things can go from very, very hot to very, very cold very, very quickly. So some materials that reflect the sun away from the uh, spacecraft to keep it cool or absorb this and, and channel it to some other place. Then they also have to have heaters to heat it back up again so the whole thing doesn't freeze people inside or the experiment doesn't freeze. Like maybe if you put your phone in the freezer, it wouldn't work so well. Or if you put it, you know, in the microwave, it wouldn't work so well either. Uh. Now, listeners, although this sounds like a really fun experiment, we definitely do not recommend that you try this at home. No, 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 kids. Or even impressionable adults, do not put your phones or even your parents' phones in the freezer or the microwave. Instead, we've got another experiment for you to try. Oh, yes! 
For this, you will need some sun cream. You have no idea how hard it is to say that. A paintbrush or your finger and a UV torch. Now, you can find these in some shops around Ireland or you can get one cheaply. You, Julie, you got one, didn't you? I did, I did, because here in England, we can't get them from the local shops. So I actually got one for a few quid from Amazon. Okay. So what you will need to do is to take some of your sunscreen and either using your finger or a paintbrush, write or draw something on your arm using the sun cream. Something sun cream, something sun cream, sun cream, sun cream. This is the hardest thing I've ever had to say. Now, you want to make sure that you only use a very tiny bit of the sun cream so that the others can't see what you've written or drawn. It's a bit like a secret message. You tried this with your kids, didn't you, Julie? You definitely did. Of course I did. Of course. Are you ready? Um, What does it say, Nova? Wow! That's pretty cool, isn't it? Mama, can you do Cool, indeed. So how does all this work? Well, the whole point of sun cream is that it blocks and absorbs the ultraviolet or UV light from hitting your skin. This is the kind of light that can cause you some harm. Inside sun cream, there are minerals like zinc oxide that reflect the sun's UV rays before they hit your skin. So when you shine the ultraviolet or UV torch onto the sun cream, which is like a beam of sunshine. The sun cream blocks and scatters that UV light and that's why you can see the sun cream glow. This is best done in a dark room for dramatic effect. Now, listeners, you'll be pleased to hear this. Ireland has a little claim to space fame when it comes to satellites and sun cream. That's right. What David's been talking about is that the spacecraft and satellites basically need a satellite equivalent of sun cream to keep them safe. These sun creams are also coatings and one of them is made by a company called Enbio in Ireland. And it's, it's on some spacecraft going towards the sun at the moment, a solar orbiter. It's also going to be in the spacecraft that, that we're making in UCD, AirSat-1. Awesome. And they're called Solar White and Solar Black. The black stuff is made from charred cow bones. Wait a minute. What? <laughs> cow bones? Cow bones. Yeah, same chemistry as, as cow bones. And it has amazing uh, heat transfer properties and heat, heat thermal protection properties. It's, it's that sort of material that's going to stop the spacecraft melting. So otherwise, they'd be so close to the sun that the whole spacecraft would melt. But because there's a thin layer of this black uh, material or the white material that stops it from melting. It can just sit there and, and do look at the sun and teach us about what's going on there. Cows in space! Yes, and because they're cows in space, this sun cream keeps them from getting too Frisian. <laughs> or too freezing. Frisian cows? Do you guys are Frisian and the Frisian? Oh, <laughs> boo. Oh, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Huh? Moo. <laughs> nice. Well, now that we've learned what cows are doing up in space, thanks to Dave McKeown, we wanted to share a little more about what Bruce actually did up in space. Yes, our chat with Bruce was super interesting. And also, as you can imagine, quite long. We had so many questions. So we've not actually been able to put all of it in this particular episode. Instead, we've saved some of it for our very last episode of this season of Let's Dive In, which will be all about different careers in science. 
So subscribe to make sure you don't miss that and all of the other cool episodes coming up. And please, if you don't mind, like and even leave us a review. It'd be very helpful. Very helpful and kind indeed. Right, back to Bruce. So what is one of the best things about being an astronaut? There's probably several, and they're all in the same category. First of all, just the rocket ride going up to space. When you leave the pad, and it only in eight and a half minutes, you're traveling at 17,500 miles an hour. It only takes you eight and a half minutes to get there. So the acceleration is just awesome, going so fast. And then the second thing, or of equal, is looking at Earth for the first time from space. Now, I... On my first flight, my first job was to take a picture of the external tank from the space shuttle that would fall off the shuttle after we got on orbit. And when I looked out the window, I was supposed to take a picture of the tank, but I was so taken aback by looking at the earth and the planet and the water and the clouds and the blackness of space. I almost, well, I did forget. I forgot to take the picture until my commander said, (laughs) Bruce, you should be seeing it. And I said, yeah, I do. It's beautiful. He said, well, why aren't you taking any pictures? And I said, of what? Oh, the tank. (laughs) That that is just hard to imagine. And the whole whole space thing is your whole body feels it. And your whole soul, I'd say. It's more like it's just a, like you say, that that shock of seeing it. It's just, it's it's almost, I was going to say out of body, but like floaty body? Is is that Out of this world. Yes. It, it, it's 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 you know out of this world experience and floating around it's really amazing to me how fast your body adapts to space i mean three days to for all the bodily systems but something as simple as when you want to get up and walk out the door you get up and walk out the door and you don't think about it when you first get up in zero gravity you want to turn and go somewhere you've got to think about it like if i wanted to toss you this pencil on ground, I would just toss you the pencil and it would fly in an arc and you'd catch it. In space, if I did that, I tossed it like this, it would keep on going up and hit the top of the shuttle. So you have to learn how to like pass things to people. You just push them very slowly and they float. But after just a couple of days, you can be working up on a panel up on the flight deck in the shuttle and know that your next thing you have to do is to go down to the mid deck to another panel. And without thinking, your brain has already figured out how much to push and how to rotate so that you end up right where you want to be without even thinking about it. Your experience of seeing the earth through that window that very first time, did it change your relationship with the earth? My experience was that when I looked back at the earth and you see this beautiful blue marble globe and you can't see the whole earth at the level of orbit we were on, and then you see the black black vastness of space, a vacuum of space. And then you look and see that the atmosphere is this little bitty thin stripe above the surface of the earth. And that has all of our oxygen, all of our carbon dioxide, protects us from the harmful radiation of the sun. It's where our rain comes from. I came away with a much better appreciation of how fragile our atmosphere is. And we need to do everything we possibly can to keep from destroying it because Without it, we'll cease to exist on the planet. It's an eye-opener. There's the job title of, I am an astronaut. But what does that actually really mean? Like when you're up in space in a spaceship, what are you actually doing? 
you know, NASA would put together a timeline for us and they would, you know, they would tell you what time you're supposed to get up, what you're supposed to do. They called it post-sleep activities where you would do some certain things, which was like cleaning yourself, grooming, cooking breakfast, that sort of thing. And then you'd work all full day long and theoretically they would schedule a half hour for lunch and then also some post-workday activities and pre-sleep. The schedule went out the window. You were so busy. The things that they scheduled you to do, we had experiments on board that we had to take care of. For example, on my first flight, we had this experiment that had live white rats in it. They were in a, in a cage, but we had to make sure they were fed and, and clean, cleansed, and that took time. We deployed a satellite that went into a polar orbit around the sun. We only had a couple second window to get it out of the payload bay and then fire it off. So that took a great group of crew coordination and you always had someone flipping the switches and the other person reading the checklist. We had medical experiments where people were doing things, checking pressures on the eye. So, so on that first flight, you know, there, there's just so much to do and not enough time to do it. And we were only up there for four days. Working together, obviously, in three days is, is important because you've got so much to do. One of the things I heard somebody else say is that when you're an astronaut, one of the key things that you have to do before you go up there is do lots of other stuff so that you're able to work with other people in case it's like get along together. <laughs> um, how big a part of like getting along with each other is being in a team in space? Well, it, it's a big part. And, you know, I don't want to treat it lightly. And, and mm. that one week interview process, the working together thing was very, very important. That's why we went through a whole bank of psychological and psychiatric tests. And even having said that, you know, I, I flew twice, a crew of five the first time, all military and a crew of seven the second time, military, civilian, male, female alike. And we became family. It was like we were all brothers and sisters. You know, it was just, and everybody had everybody else's back. Now, there have been some crews where every once in a while, someone <laughs> just doesn't get along quite as much. That, but, you know, they get through it. But both my flights, we really got along well. But I imagine it, it can be a little bit harder when you are stuck in a much smaller space, yeah, up in space. It's interesting you say that, but, you know, the shuttle is a lot bigger than it appears you know, because it's a whole volume that you use. You don't just use the square footage of the floor. You know, you've got the whole volume to work. So you can put five people downstairs and a couple of them can be hanging from the ceiling, a couple of them sitting on the walls, but you've got more space. With the shuttle, obviously a phenomenal piece of engineering. I know you were on Endeavour and Discovery, is that correct? Yes. Did you have a favorite of the two? Well, well, no, no, and that, that's a very okay. valid question, and I'm happy to answer it. And I can say with, you know, hands down, Endeavor, and there's several reasons for that. Well, okay. First of all, you know, when we're not flying in space, all of the astronauts have what we call technical assignments or collateral duties. So it's not like you're just sitting around twiddling your thumbs waiting to go fly. You know, we're all very busy doing different things. And one of my jobs was to be the astronaut office representative out in California where Endeavor was being built before my first flight. And so I, matter of fact, not a lot of people don't know this, but man, not, I shouldn't say it. But anyway, I actually wrote my name inside the wing. No way! <laughs> yes! Yeah. So my name's Amazing. in there somewhere. So, wow. so the second thing is, is having seen that spaceship come together and the flight that we did 
the first flight I was on with Discovery was only a four-day flight, and everything went like clockwork. We went up there, kicked out the satellite, did our experiments. Back in four days, it was like, wow, have we even been to space? It was over. Endeavor, we got up there, and our primary job was to attach an engine to a satellite that was in the wrong orbit called Intelsat. And so we did an engine change at 17,500 miles an hour. And so we had to catch up to this satellite. And then we had Pierre Thuot was out on the end of the arm, and I was the arm operator. And we were supposed to just be able to grab it, bring it down, put it on top of the rocket motor that we brought up. But the device that we had to grab the satellite didn't work. So we struggled for two days trying to grab the satellite. And then on the third day, we actually put three spacewalkers out, which is the only time ever in the history of human spaceflight that there's been three people out of, out of the spaceship at the same time, and we were successful. So that whole mission, you know, we really had to think on our feet. You know, we, we hadn't prepared for not being able to grab the satellite. So, yeah, that was that was that was the best wow that must have been something pretty special i mean did when something like that goes wrong in space you know do how do you control the emotions of panic something's going wrong <laughs> and it's not like you can send someone from earth to come and help you fix it who can help you know you've got to figure it out between you how do you control all of that emotion uh, julie the worst part about it is is that we train for what we think is every potential outcome, eventuality, uh, mishap, failure. And I mean, that's why, you know, it takes three years of training before you fly your first flight. And then it takes at least another year of training before any other flight after that, because you go through every possible scenario that's thinkable. And so well, something goes wrong, you know how to fix it. We had, you know, like a little communication link go bad, and, you know, that's the procedure for that. We had a little water floating around. We knew how to get rid of that. But those are all things that you are trained for. But when we grabbed that satellite and it just bounced off out of control into space, we all looked at each other like, what do we do now? I mean, we had no plan for that. And so you know, we tried to do it again. We tried to catch it four times the first day, five times the second day. We took a day off. And that's when we came up with the idea of that night while we were sleeping of putting, putting three people out and we had to work with the ground. They didn't want us to do it in the first place because the airlock can only accommodate wood, was normally built to accommodate two people. And we stuck three in it. So we had all these workarounds. But like you said, we worked together and came up with a plan. And luckily, because of the difference in size of the astronauts on board, in order to have EVA suits to accommodate all four of them, because Tom and Kathy were gonna do a spacewalk after we finished the satellite stuff, we actually had enough pieces of spacesuits to put three suits together, which you never have on board the shuttle. So and I was actually the guy that said, well, why don't we send three people out? We have three suits. But of course, awesome. we're hoping I'd be the third one. But <laughs> <laughs> Clever, nice work. I tried, I really tried. <laughs> that's how we that's how we were successful i mean we just put our heads together and pulled it off my wife and i have just applied to the european space agency astronaut program what's your advice well i'll start with my belief and and that is always reach for the stars the sky is no longer the limit it's not i mean and the other way corollary to that is the sky is no longer a limit the limit there's footprints on the moon you can do whatever in the world you want to do and, and just focus on it and do it. 
but be a good person and get educated. And like I say, the sky's no longer the limit. Okay, Phil, I don't know about you, but that was the first time that I had ever spoken to an astronaut. I have had the pleasure of speaking to a, a couple of them over the years. And what blows my mind is not just how capable and how awesome they are, but just actually how nice and sound people they are. Absolutely. And Bruce is definitely one of those. So a huge, huge thanks to you, Bruce Melnick, for telling us your stories. We learned some super cool space facts from you. And speaking of super cool space facts. Fun fact time. I have a confession. I am a huge science nerd. (laughs) Yeah, hold on. Well, we definitely already knew that. (laughs) But to be honest, space has never really been, well, my jam. But, But space is so awesome. I mean, what about the faraway galaxies or the black holes or even an eclipse? I know, but sometimes it just feels like it's so far away, like it's all a bit over my head, you know? Oh, oh no. we were set up. Not you as well. <laughs> oh, that's like, I feel, now I know what you feel like, Julie. So since I realized I might underappreciate space, I went looking for facts that might increase my appreciation. And honestly, I found too many to go into them all, and I don't know what to do now. Oh, uh, well, what about uh, solution, scientist solution? I have a dice here, conveniently. I'll roll a number, and you tell us a fact. Oh, okay. okay. Here we go. Four. Four is space lifeguards. D- okay. D- okay. Well, okay, these are scientists that are also called space environment officers. I prefer, I prefer space lifeguards. Yeah, yeah. So they keep an eye on the ebb and flow of dangerous space radiation coming from the sun in order to warn astronauts of danger. Oh, that's just like what we learned in this episode. The sun can be deadly with all the radiation messing up our DNA and making you sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? If it wasn't for the sun's, you know, necessary to survive warmth and light, I'd probably only give it a one star review. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, Julie, not you. I mean, like, it's bad enough with me and now Ashling, but. I'm not going to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, okay, maybe I like that one. Okay, uh, Ashling, how dangerous could the sun be apart from how dangerous could Julie's jokes be? Uh, and how can we stay relatively safe in all of this? So, our sun contributes to their kind of being a space weather. Most of the time, it's just a gentle radiation pitter-pattering about, though. Oh, that doesn't sound so bad. A bit like the rain we get here. But every once in a while, the sun's plasma starts to roil around like mad, and there's a growing bunch of super magnetically charged sunspots that just build and build and build. (gasps) And? And? And then kablam! A stormy eruption of solar radiation hurtles towards Earth. Okay, I was wrong. That sounds terrifying. Why aren't we more freaked out about these solar eruptions? There are two main protections of these solar storms for us on Earth. You've got Earth's magnetic field and atmosphere. But astronauts that venture out on space missions, they go out past these protections into the danger zone. And they have to rely on these scientists to warn them when to hunker down behind other kind of barriers. Well, I suppose it's, uh, you know, you want to be better safe than starry. It's what I always... Say. No, no. <coughs> we no, know you'd get no. one in there. <laughs> I had no. to. It was a competition to get no. bad jokes in. Uh, what kind of barriers are we talking about? 
Okay, so for astronauts to go to the moon, they're thinking about possibly going underground when these solar eruptions are going to happen. Or if they're in transit, right, in a shuttle or something, they just pile up all kinds of things they have because they have to get behind as much mass as possible to stop the little particles from coming in. Wow, really? That's so cool. <laughs> okay, so that's our fun fact, man. Space lifeguards warning astronauts when and how to take cover during a solar storm when they're outside of the Earth's protection. Exactly. This is so cool. Well, I guess we're lucky to have all these protections then. Uh, just also, you did say that you had loads more space facts. Okay, Phil, roll again. Okay, hold on. You get one too, Julie. Here we go. Roll it, roll it, roll it. Six. All right. That was, oh, the process of pooping in space where... Oh, no, 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 no. That's it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. No, Julie, 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 that's where they have the space vacuum and they attach it and it sucks the poop. No, we had enough about poo last week. Thank you very much, everybody. It's been an absolute pleasure. Ashlyn, it's been a great fact. Thank you so much. And I'll see you next week. I'm going to go look up poop. Oh, Phil. Why not look up poop? (laughs) Wait, is there poop in space? Thank you all so much for making it to the end of our Let's Dive In show. We love making these shows for you. But of course, there's more to it than just having some fun. This show wouldn't be possible without Science Foundation Ireland. Our coordinators, Lorna, Sharon and Avian at UCD Explore. And of course, the one who oversees it all, Nikki Coughlin. And the one who oversees Nikki and everything else, Suzanne Kelly. Finally, a big, huge and giant thank you goes to you, our listeners, for listening and also for sending in your questions. Without you, we wouldn't have a show. So please like, share, subscribe and give us a review if you've enjoyed it. And if you feel so inclined. I mean, we're very much obliged. So thank you and And bye. bye.